Mark 15, verses 33 through 39 is where we'll be this morning. In the early 1900s, there was a well-known ship called the Endurance, and its captain was a man named Ernest Shackleton. Shackleton on the Endurance had a crew of about 30 people, and he was on this voyage where he was trying to travel around the North Pole. And as you know, the North Pole is, is freezing cold, and he's trying to go through this expedition, and eventually the sea begins to freeze over, and forcing the endurance to push through giant blocks of ice, very dangerous, and eventually the blocks of ice, the, the, the sea becoming frozen became too much for the endurance to bear, and it was eventually crushed by the ice, forcing Shackleton and his 30 or so crew members off the ship and trying to survive then on the ice to get back to shore. And they were trying to do this through by means of dog sleds, of, of all things. Every single night, they'd have to camp out on this ice. And they would try to gather food. They would try to sleep. They would try to endure uh, the freezing cold. And Shackleton and many of his men did survive. But Shackleton later on wrote about this horrific time for he and his crew members as they were shipwrecked. And you would imagine the different sort of struggles you would have. You, maybe perhaps if you would talk about the, uh, the, it being freezing cold, perhaps you would talk about starvation, and perhaps you would talk about losing the lives of your crew members. But Shackleton, as he writes, he says the most difficult thing during that time wasn't any of those things. The most difficult thing was actually the darkness. Around the South Pole at this time, the sun would go down around May, and it wouldn't rise up again until July. So every day, every night, Shackleton is there with his crew trying to survive in utter darkness. Now try to imagine that. Perhaps you've been in a room that is completely dark, so dark that you can't even see your face if you put it in front of you. That sort of darkness can be utterly terrifying. Without light, we really have no or little control. And this is why the Bible uses darkness as a metaphor. It uses it as a metaphor for really uh, the condition of our hearts without Christ. Without Christ, we are in total darkness. Spiritually, if we are in the darkness, we cannot see in front of us. We, we can't see where we're going. We can't see around us. We can't know who to trust or who to love or how to receive love or how to love. We can't see behind us if we're in the darkness. We can't make sense of our past or what has taken place in our lives. We have very little hope. And so this is why the, the Bible uses darkness as this metaphor of hopelessness. This is really who we were uh, without Christ. This is who we are uh, without Christ. And so today, uh, what we're going to see is, is how the death of Jesus Christ allows us to overcome the darkness. Mark 15 is perhaps the most f familiar chapter in the Gospel of Mark. It's the, the famous place where Jesus was crucified. This is Mark's account of 
the crucifixion of Jesus Christ where Jesus was tried, Jesus was beaten, Jesus was eventually nailed to the cross. And then Mark takes us into the most chilling scenes of Jesus' death where we see that even in, in the darkness, though, there's light. And so we'll pick up Mark 15 and we'll start in verse 33. It says, as Jesus was crucified, it says that it was the sixth hour had come. There was, there's the word, darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now the hours here are important. Uh, you see Mark is showing us that Jesus went to the cross around the sixth hour until he breathed his last breath in the ninth hour. Uh, this would have been between 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. And this is sort of a strange thing that happens because during 12 and 3, you normally don't see darkness. But Mark says there was darkness that covered the whole land. Three hours of time. How odd would this be? It, it couldn't have been a sand, sandstorm that caused this or some sort of eclipse that caused this, especially during this time. It would have been full moon uh, during the season of the Passover. It wouldn't have been a, a, a time where an eclipse would have taken place and caused this darkness. Rather, God is really using his power uh, to, to illustrate something really important for all of us to see. And so what, what I want you to see is this is not the first time that God has actually done this to show the condition of our hearts, to really use uh, physical darkness to really show us uh, spiritual darkness. If you think back to the very first Passover, uh, this is earlier in, in God's word in the book of Exodus, when we see God bringing his people out of exile. And during this Passover, God actually shows a scene where there's darkness. And this is where God goes to the strongest leader in the region, Pharaoh, through Moses. He tells Moses, he tells Pharaoh through Moses to let his people go. But Pharaoh was arrogant, he was proud, and he refused. And so God sent a series of plagues, 10 to be exact, to force Pharaoh to, to let his people go. Now, I won't get into all the plagues, but most of them were painful or just annoying. For instance, water was turned to blood. That was one of them. There was frogs all over the land. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where there's hundreds of frogs or just the sound um, of that many frogs or just the grossness of frogs everywhere. Th that was one of them. There would be hail uh, from the sky. There was locust, uh, just to name a few. But then there was the ninth plague. In the ninth plague, God is telling Pharaoh, unless you send my people, God, I'm going to send another one. I'm going to send another one. I'm going to send another one. And Pharaoh, again, he refused. And so finally, the ninth plague was darkness. Utter darkness everywhere that you go. Again, this is before electricity. So you can imagine this darkness. And it was not for three hours like Jesus on the cross, but this was actually darkness for three days. It's interesting that the number three, how many times it's mentioned uh, throughout the Bible, but this is one of the times. Three, three days of complete darkness, and Pharaoh still did not repent. He still did not give in to God's demands, and so what happens, there's a tenth plague, and the tenth plague was the death of every firstborn in the land. Now, you Think about the similarities here between this first Passover and then this 
final or this Passover here with Christ on the cross. What, what do we see as the similarities? Well, first of all, we see the darkness here at the cross. God is announcing his firstborn, his one and only son, the true, truer and better Passover lamb that would now die for the sins of the world. Just like the plague in, plagues in Egypt, this was also a warning uh, to repent. And if there is no repentance, there is no freedom and there is no light. You will remain in the darkness and you will die. And so as the same, it's a warning here in the plagues of Egypt. It's a warning here uh, in this day and time now. When we see the darkness cover the, the whole land, as Mark says, as Jesus goes to the cross, he's saying, this is a warning now. Uh, to repent and to trust this Passover lamb, the firstborn of God, that we would trust him and that we would know him and we would be set free. The last thing, the final thing that Mark's showing us here is that what Jesus, Jesus did this. Jesus went into darkness so that we wouldn't live in darkness and face death ourselves. I'm going to show you why that is in verse 34. It says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lima, Shabbatoni, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put on a reed and gave it to him saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus here makes this famous statement from the cross. He says, God, why have you forsaken me? And the way it actually sounds in Hebrew, it actually, the, the, the word Eloi, it actually sounds like uh, Elijah. And so some of the bystanders thought that he was crying out to Elijah, and then they used this opportunity to say, oh, this, he's, calling, he's trying to call Elijah down to, to save him, and they use this as another way to mock Jesus. And of course, this is their own darkness that they're, re, they're walking in and responding in. But why does Jesus make this statement? Well, several weeks ago, we unpacked this in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is experiencing here total abandonment. He's been abandoned by his friends. He's been abandoned by his followers. Uh, even last week we saw in the text, we saw Simon of Cyrene helping Jesus carry the cross. It wasn't Simon Peter, the disciple. Uh, we saw that even the location of the cross, he's in Golgotha, a place outside of the city walls. But Jesus doesn't even talk about that abandonment. Jesus, he doesn't, notice he doesn't cry uh, when he's crucified on the cross. He doesn't talk about his physical pain. He doesn't say, my hands, my feet, my arms, my legs. Uh, no, rather he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the most painful aspect of the cross wasn't the abandonment from his friends. It wasn't the humiliation. It wasn't even the physical pain. It was that he was forsaken at this moment by his father. And you notice the text. The father doesn't respond. He doesn't respond to Jesus' question. You even saw this earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus is praying to the Father and he's asking the Father, is there another way that you can remove this cup of wrath from me? The Father doesn't respond. The Father is silent. So the reason why the Father is silent in both places and the reason why Jesus at this moment moment is abandoned by the Father is because the Father has now placed our sin upon his one and only Son, upon his firstborn so that his firstborn would die for our sin. This was the plague that should have been placed on us, the plague that was now placed on Jesus. And this in the Bible is known as a theological term called substitutionary atonement. It's that Jesus became sin for us. This is why the Father could not look upon his Son, because Jesus absorbed our sin for us. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. The reformer, Martin Luther, called this passage, he calls uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 this, this idea, the great exchange, which means my sin goes to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness comes to me. The gospel, it could be summed up in, in really two words, became and become. Jesus became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is known as as really justification. We are now sinners made right before God. Why? Well, it can't be our own righteousness. It has to be the perfect sacrifice of, of God's one and only son. This is what Jesus did when he died for us. This is why there was darkness that covered the land. Jesus went through the darkness for us so that we would be exposed to the light. But there's something else that happens at the cross where Jesus brings us out of darkness. Verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when Centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now what's the significance here of what Mark's trying to show us? Why does Mark suddenly take us to a different location? So here he is, is that Galgotha, He's outside of the city, and he's breathing his last breath. He cries out to the Father, why have you forsaken me? And then Mark takes us into the city, into Jerusalem, into the temple, and says when that happened, when Jesus breathed his last breath, on the other side, into the temple, he says the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Of course, he's showing us from top to bottom because only God can do that, not, not bottom from top. It wasn't a man-made tear. It was God separating this curtain in the temple. Why did that happen? Why did that take place? Well, you think about it. This is happening again. Jesus' death is happening during the Passover. 
And the Passover, again, was a remembrance of God delivering his people out of exile and into freedom. And so here, every year, Israelites would remember God bringing uh, them out of exile. And every year, people would travel from all over. All these Jews would travel from all over the region into Jerusalem to the temple, and they would bring their sacrifices to the temple. They would go into the outer parts of the temple and they would maybe perhaps bring uh, a, a, a lamb that would be slain or maybe it was something that they would sacrifice to God that would, that would be for their sin, to atone for their sin. And in the temple, no common man or woman was allowed into the temple. Only the high priest was allowed in the temple and only once a year during the Passover, the season that we're in right now that we're talking about in Mark's gospel, only once a year was the uh, uh, high priest allowed into the deepest parts of the temple. And this was called the Holy of Holies. And it was separated even in the temple so you think about the separation. Uh, man, man and woman could not come and enter into the temple this, because the temple was where the holiness of God, the presence of God would dwell. This is why God would be among his people through this physical building. And man and woman were not allowed in. But once a year during the Passover, the priest, the high priest, was allowed behind the curtain to commune with God and to be be a mediator between God and man. Only once a year. If, if, a, if a high priest went behind the curtain in any other time, he would be struck dead, according to the law of Moses. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, Mark takes us over to the temple and says, by the way, this is what took place when Jesus breathed his last breath. The curtain, this four-inch curtain that separated uh, man from God is torn from top to bottom. Why does he show us that? Well, Mark is showing us that Jesus represented, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross would cover all sacrifices. When the curtain was ripped in two, God is saying this final sacrifice would end all sacrifices. No longer does man need to come before God to offer sacrifices in order to appease God or to forgive sin. No, Christ dying on the cross was enough. His single sacrifice was enough. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 verse 14, for by a single offering, Christ's single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One single offering was enough. The other thing he's trying to show us is that there's also no longer a mediator necessary between God and man because Christ is our mediator. We no longer need to go through this sacrificial system to try to earn God's favor, to try to uh, relieve God's punishment towards sin. Now it's been done through Christ. Now we don't need a temple system. We don't need a physical priest. We have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who tore this curtain, this separation because of our sin, the separation from top to bottom. And not only that, 
But but the curtain torn in two shows us that it's not just for the Jews and ethnic people. It's an invitation for all to come. It's an invitation for the Jew. It's an invitation for the Gentile. It's an invitation for the male. It's an invitation for the female. It's an invitation for the free. It's an invitation to the slave. It's for invitation for all to come. And that's the gospel. That's what Mark is showing us, that even in the midst of darkness, there's light and there's an invitation to come. The darkness has been overcome by the light of the gospel. Church, this is the God that we serve. There's this place in John's gospel where there's a woman who's caught in her darkness. She had committed the sin of adultery and there's a mob of religious leaders and they, they capture this woman and they angrily bring her before Jesus. And they asked Jesus, what, are you, what, are you gonna, what should we do about this woman? They, they, they quoted the law of Moses to Jesus. They said, according to the law of Moses, we're supposed to stone this woman. We're supposed to kill this woman. And so they asked Jesus this, this important question, what do you say? And of course, they're trying to trap Jesus, hoping that Jesus would somehow contradict the scriptures. Now, notice what Jesus says in, in John 8, verse 7. He says, let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. And then verse 9, it says, And they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now that's verse 11. Now notice what he says in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. This is what the light of Christ, this is what the light of the gospel does. It's an invitation for us to abandon the darkness, to leave our shame, to leave our guilt, to leave our sin into a place where God looks at us and says, I, can, I condemn you not. Go and sin no more. Do you see the freedom in this invitation? That, that's the light that Jesus has shines upon us. The darkness, is, in the darkness, it's, it's, it's the way that the woman was trying to be exploited by these religious leaders. They were trying to embarrass her and to shame her in her sin. The religious leaders wanted to shed the light of condemnation on this woman. But the light of Jesus it invites her into freedom. It's a freedom that says, you don't have to stay in the darkness. You can actually see in front of you. You can actually have hope that even in your darkness that you don't have to stay there, 
You don't have to let darkness destroy you or defeat you or condemn you. You can see in front of you, you have light. That's what Jesus is offering this woman. That's what Jesus offers us. Uh, You can see around you. You can trust people. You can receive love from people. You can actually learn to to love others. Uh, you You can look behind you. You can make sense of your past because the light of the gospel has been shined upon you. You're no longer in the darkness. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Friends, the only way we can truly know God's love for us and really the only way we can receive and we can give love to one another is that we no longer walk in the darkness. That's what John's saying. Christ took on the plague of darkness for us so that we could walk in the light. And we, like this woman who's caught in the darkness, we could walk away free because we've been exposed to this grace, not this condemnation. We've been invited in to the mercy and love of Christ who went through the darkness for us. So there's two ways that you can look at this passage. One, you're going to look at it differently if you're a believer and a non-believer. So I want to unpack both of those things. Uh, First of all, if you're a believer in Christ, may this be an invitation for you to continue to walk in the freedom that Christ has given you. Um, Ephesians 5 verse 8, Paul says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are uh, light in the Lord. Then he says, walk as children of light. And what he's talking about there is really holiness. He's saying continue to be open with your sin and continue to not hide. Uh, Continue to walk in repentance. Continue to believe that you are loved by God and that he has a plan for your life that you can see in front of you, that you can see around you, that you can see behind you, that you can make sense of all the things that are happening in your life. You can make sense that even in the season right now, you can even make sense of the suffering that you're going through even right now that he wouldn't call you out of the darkness and into the light and then put you back in the darkness. That's not the God that we serve. The hope of the gospel is that we can be light even in the world around us, even when the world around us is dark. And so this invitation for you, if you're walking as a children, a child of light, that he's not going to leave you that he's not going to put you back in the darkness, that he's going to be with you. And he's going to be with you always. And we're going to receive this grace and this mercy and we'll be with him for eternity, forever. We'll enjoy him forever. This is the God that we serve. So 
may we live and may we walk as children of light. So that's the hope that we have. We're in Christ. But if you're not a Christian, this, there's an invitation for you here. As you read this gospel account, if we read the holy words of Scripture, there's an invitation for you to abandon the darkness. God sent the plagues of Egypt to warn them and Pharaoh to repent. And one was complete darkness for three days. Well, Jesus went to the cross and darkness covered the whole land for three hours. And God is telling us these are the days to repent. As we're even even in a season of suffering, he's saying, hey, this world is not your home. We're not promised a better life now on this earth, but we are promised a better life in eternity with him. And so he's saying, as you see this world become more dark, may it be an invitation for you to experience the true light and the hope that we have in Christ. There's an invitation then that happens also in the story where you see the curtain that is torn from top to bottom. And he's saying, this is an invitation for you to be a child of the light. That you don't, it doesn't matter what race that you come from. doesn't matter what background you have or your family dynamics or uh, your socioeconomic background. Anything, nothing is going to interfere from the freedom that you have in the light. And so this is a call as the curtain is torn from top to bottom. He's saying you have full access to the Father. You don't have to go through a priest, a physical human priest, you could come directly to God through Christ. And there's no level of darkness that can constrain this grace, that would withhold this grace. So as sinful as you believe that you are, there's an invitation for you to come. The curtain was torn so that you would have full access to this grace and that you would walk away like the woman who was caught in adultery and he looks at you and says, go and sin no more. So if you're not a believer, my hope is that you would see the darkness that Christ went through on your behalf when he died on your place for your sins. And my hope is that you would repent of your sins and that you would surrender to the Lord Jesus and that then you would walk away and you would go and sin no more. Not saying that you would live perfect, but you would have a posture of brokenness over your sin, and you would have a desire to live for your king. And so may all of us in this season that we're in, in now more than ever, may we as a church walk as children of light. God help us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. Lord, as we even read John's gospel in the first chapter, it tells us that you were there in the beginning and that you came into the world as light in a dark place and you came full of grace and of truth. And so God, I pray for, for us to walk as children of light. I pray for those who are listening today and who are watching who maybe are stuck in the darkness or they see the grace and the mercy that you offer when the curtain was torn into 
and the invitation because you went to darkness for us. We don't have to stay there. That we can live in the light. And we know because of what your word tells us, there's freedom in the light. There's freedom then to love you more and there's freedom to love others more and to receive the love that you've given us. So God, will we receive that? Would we walk in the light? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I invite you to respond to the gospel in three different ways. First, we're going to hear songs, and it's my hope that you would reflect on the words of these songs, and they would be an encouragement for you during this time to walk as children of light. Secondly, I'm going to invite you to give sacrificially and generously. If you're listening, uh, we just want to let you know we don't we don't want your money. We're just glad that you're listening and we hope that this could be an encouragement for you. Perhaps you want to know more about uh, our church or about how to become a believer in Christ. My hope is you would go to our website, go to our COVID-19 uh, page and let us know if you need anything. We love to care for you in any way that we can. But if you call Integrity Church your home, we're going to invite you to give. Uh, during this season, it's an important time for us to give sacrificially and generously. We don't want to quarantine the gospel. Uh, we want to make sure the gospel continues to, to, to reach people, even through online, and we can continue to make disciples. We can continue to spread the word through sending out missions and sending out church plants. We want to continue to do those things. So I want to invite you to give. Um, if you have the means to do so, uh, for those of you who are working and have jobs, uh, please give so that the gospel will continue to go forward here in Greenville and throughout the world through the mission of Integrity Church. The last thing I'm going to invite you to do is take of the Lord's Supper. Perhaps you're at home and you have some of those elements of bread and wine or juice. Uh, may you take the bread and the bread would help you remember the body of Christ that was broken for you on the cross. You'll take the bread and then you'll then dip it into the cup and the cup will be uh, remembrance of the blood that Jesus has shed. And this is for you if you are in Christ to remember uh, that you are a child of the light. And so it's a chance for you to repent, uh, maybe sins in your life, maybe you're stuck in the darkness and you need a reminder of Christ's love for you. And as you repent, as you walk in repentance today, may you take the bread and take the cup as a remembrance of Christ calling us out of the darkness and into the light as he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. Integrity Church, even in this season, we have much to celebrate. We can walk as children in the light.